Many trainers nowadays are making the leap from employed to self-employed. And a problem many have is this little voice in their head saying, I can't charge this. It's, it's too much. They never will pay this. this. This amount I'm asking for is just ridiculous. And if you're making the leap from the world of being an employee to being a self-employed trainer, there's definitely a mental shift involved. You look at your paycheck and tell yourself you're worth you know, 250 pounds or dollars a day, because that's what you're used to looking at. You're used to thinking like an employee. That's a mistake when in fact you could be charging four or $5,000 or pounds or more a day. And today's guest is Murray Cowell, with whom I've worked in a previous life. We've both worked as learning and development managers, hiring trainers to deliver training. So we both know the value of the training that you sell to people like us. And it's actually more than you think. The good news is that there are many, many things that trainers can charge for other than just the training element, the face-to-face delivery element. And that's what we're going to help you with today. This is episode 99 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast, and this is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, people like you and me all around the world. And we have indeed, of course, listeners all around the world. And the goal of this episode and every episode of the show is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Now, before the music, I explained that today's episode is going to help you to come up with ways to charge what your training is worth. And often it's more than just delivery. And this is A common mistake that many trainers make is they think that the thing they're charging for is just the face-to-face delivery. But the question to ask yourself is, what is value for your prospect? Are there areas where they need help? And undercharging for your training is more common than overcharging. The question to ask yourself, apart from what is value to your prospect, is what can you charge for? And the answer is, well, a lot more than you think. How much more can you charge for than just a face-to-face delivery? Is there stuff you can do before training, during training? Are there values or services you can add? And can you do anything after training? And the answer is, you can. But what exactly are those things? Well, that's what my guest Murray Cowell today is going to discuss with me. We're going to give you some clear ideas over the course of the next 45 minutes. To give you some background, Mary is someone I've worked with before in a previous organization. Mary has been on the senior leadership team in several million-dollar training organizations with responsibility for recruiting, training, coaching, and running a team, one of which is the team I belonged to in a previous life as an associate trainer. And of course, part of that role was mentoring and managing other independent trainers. And the upshot is that Murray nowadays, just like me, helps professional trainers to get clients, the kinds of clients that suit their business model, and to get paid their true worth doing the kind of work that they're born to do, that they love to do. And this is done through Murray's coaching and mastermind programs. Murray, hi, welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. Thanks very much for having me on. So uh, some common background, first of all, to explain the context I worked for a while as an associate uh, with a London-based training company, and you were solutions director there. So you managed a group of us as trainers. Um, And then laterally, or subsequently, I've experienced as a learning and development manager where I've in turn had to hire trainers. So I've watched people, as I'm sure you have, make that jump from the corporate world into perhaps being a self-employed trainer, perhaps working for other people. But then most of us at some point want to go solo and we want to, you know, attract our own direct clients. So, you know, what are your thoughts, first of all, about someone thinking of making a move from being employed in a company 
given, of course, COVID-19 and what that's doing to all of us, making that move from being in a safe job as a perhaps an employee into working for ourselves as self-employed trainers. What are your thoughts on that jump? Well, it's a significant jump to make, isn't it? Going from the apparent security of having a, a regular salary check and a, a employment rights into the world of self-employment. But in, in my experience, that appearance of security is 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 quite illusory. And I know several people at the moment, for example, who, because of COVID, have suddenly found that their jobs aren't as secure as they thought they were. A couple of my friends have, have lost their jobs as a result of that. And in in the world of self-employment, it feels like it's a lot more risky and it's always, it's often a bit scary because typically associate trainers and independent trainers will fill their diaries maybe three to six months in advance, but it's quite rare to have anything in the diary long further ahead than that and unless you're extremely lucky or uh, uh, or you've managed to get involved in a longer term program and so it, it feels like it's less secure but i've always been of the opinion that you're whether you're employed or self-employed your value as a contributor to the organization that's that's paying you is really dependent on the quality of the job that you do. And if you do a good job, you're as secure in self-employment as you are in, in employment. Yeah. But right now, of course, when people think of moving out of a secure environment into working for themselves, naturally, they will think about, you know, what they charge. And often, understandably, there's this voice in the head that, that says, because I've come from, let's say, a salaried, salaried position where I receive this much money for this number of hours per week. It's kind of hard to shake off that tendency to undercharge because we, we see things differently. As employees, we go from week to week, month to month. But often when we're working for ourselves, we, we may not have work every single day, every single week. In fact, it's a good idea not to, for obvious reasons. Um, but often it's trying to get that that gear change in the head, which is that I no longer can charge what I was paid for on a weekly basis. I've got to charge on a per project basis, but what do I charge? And when people then think about what they will charge, could charge, or would like to charge, they feel they're charging too much. So there's a kind of a voice in the head saying, I can't charge this. It's too much. People will never pay this. What do you think people can do to change this mindset and get out of the employee mindset and start thinking about, you know, the value that they bring corporate clients, their own training clients. That's it. It's a serious psychological block that a, a lot of people have feeling like they're not really worth charging the, the money that they'd like to charge. So I, I meet a lot of people who would like to charge more than they do, but for some reason they don't think that they're worth it uh, or, or they don't, or they think it's too much money. And it's just as you say that they're basing it on what they were paid as an employee, and of course, when you're an, when you're an employee, you're being paid less than you're worth because it wouldn't be in the company's interests to pay their employees more than they were worth. They'd end up losing money. So, um, so, and and then there's also the the business of running a business to take into account because it's not just turning up and doing the training. You've got to market your business. You've got to have business development conversations with some clients that will go ahead and some clients that won't go ahead. You've got to do all your own admin, your own accounts. So it's really important, as you were just saying, it's very important that trainers don't work all the time because these other activities take time. And I strongly recommend that people have targets for how much time they're going to spend doing face-to-face -face delivery or online delivery as it is um, a lot of the time. And targets for how much time they're going to spend on, especially on marketing and sales, business development, it's really important to reserve time to spend on that. Because if, if people don't, that's how they get on to in the situation where they run out of work because they've allowed themselves to become too busy, then they have to frantically find clients to fill the gap. And in doing so, it means they're chasing every lead, they're accepting every piece of work that comes their way. And that's when people start to chronically undercharge for their work because they just because they're they're in a in a, a, a slightly desperate situation and have to accept whatever they can get. And so really the the solution to it is really recognizing the value of the work that you're doing for the clients that you're working with 
And it's really important to get that clear with the client, to really clarify with the client, this is what the outcome of this training is going to be. And when I listen to um, trainers and L&D people talking about this, very often the focus is on the learning outcomes. And we need to be interested in more than, than just the learning outcomes for the participants on our program. We've got to be interested in what the business outcomes are. And, and in doing so, we can start to quantify um, as far as possible. I know it's hard with some uh, types of training, but to quantify what's the business benefit what's and, and putting putting a pound or euro figure against that so, so that it's really quantified because then the amount that you're charging for the training typically will be a tiny fraction of the financial benefit that the business is going to get. And that's a way of starting to recognize that actually you're adding a huge amount of value to these organizations with your worth and you deserve to be paid a decent rate for doing so. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point that very often we overlook the fact that just because we're not training does not mean we've other things to do. We need to work on the business, not just in the business. And if we're focused on charging for the time we're in front of people, it could be remotely, it could be face to face. That that's a that's actually damaging the business because as someone who is self-employed, you are the director of marketing, you are the CEO, you are the VP of sales, you're everything. So you've got to factor in, of course, the amount of time which you'll not be paid for. So inevitably in, in running your own business, you've got to not just be the person at the pointy end, you've got to be the admin person that has these conversations, does the research, turns up at events, uh, makes connections, all this kind of stuff which you really can't charge for. So therefore the training that you do actually has to compensate you for the stuff which you ordinarily could not you know, compensate for. Someone has to cover that. And as an employee, your wage reflects this. There's a lot that goes into paying you if you're an employee. But if you're not an employee, if you're the business owner, the business needs to justify having you on the paybook, on the roll, on the payroll. So therefore, you're not just the trainer, you're also the person who does all the operations and marketing, etc. Now, something else you mentioned was this idea that, you know, people aren't charging enough. What is the going rate right now for associate training? This is where I'm talking about someone coming in to work as a trainer on behalf of a training company. And, and I know your prices are based upon London or the UK. What is the going rate right now for associate training? Well, I see the range for associates. Uh, the range, as I understand it, is um, usually between 500 and 1,000 for an associate. Um, probably closer to the 500 end of that. Uh, I have heard rare cases of people uh, paying more than that. Um, and I've also heard, that, you know, if you think of it as a bell curve, there's also a, a significant um, people amount of people lower than that. So um, I have heard of associate rates as, as low as two or 300 pounds a day. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I know of a large telecoms company in the UK. I won't mention the elephant in the room. But they've they charge as little as one hundred and fifty pounds a day, which is appalling. And then there are other organisations. I know of a Swedish based training company, huge international company, and they pay in excess of a thousand euros a day. So there's a huge variety. Let let's let's take this into context. Let's just say an organisation is bringing in someone at five hundred pounds a day. What, in your experience, are they charging? the client for that trainer's time. This will be interesting to, to work out. Yeah, well, uh, and I've, I've seen this from a number of um, training companies and the rates range from anything from, well, where the, the rate that they will pay the associate will range from anything from 25% to 60%. And the, that's that's determined by the um, the amount of work that the associate is doing and the and the rarity of the skill. So towards the higher end, towards the sixty percent, that's usually bringing in associates who have a skill set that doesn't exist either within the training organisation or or uh, is hard to come by. Um, and at the lower end, the the twenty five percent is for kind of run of the mill um, standardised training that and that pretty much anybody can do. So what that means is that. Um, the the company that's hiring the associate is usually charging out uh, between one and a half and four times what they're paying the associate to the client. Okay, so let's just say then you do a couple of days work as an associate and you charge 
arguably 500 pounds. If you're doing well, you could be busy two, three days a week, and that's doing well. Of course, COVID-19 is an exception at the moment, so it's hard to say that that would be a realistic expectation. So arguably, if someone does the maths on this and extrapolate this out, you might have, on average, eight days paid work a month, okay? Now, that's if you're lucky. So thinking then, changing your hats again, you are now no longer an associate if you're listening to this and thinking, well, I wouldn't mind doing this myself. I wouldn't mind having my own direct clients. What could someone charge for one day's training? If they're going to be the person doing all the design, charging and delivering the content themselves. As an individual, they could expect to charge at least a thousand a day and anywhere up to two or even two and a half thousand per day. And that really depends on a lot of that depend. The, the kind of higher rates tend to be charged by uh, training companies, and that that's, there's a perception from the clients that they're delivering greater value because they have better organisation, they've got infrastructure in place. The, there's less risk involved from the clients. This is what the client's perception is, that there's less risk involved because if one trainer disappears off the job, the company will put another trainer on of, of, of equal um, ability onto the job. Now, the reason I say that that's the client's perception is because you can achieve exactly the same through collaborating with other independent trainers. And part of the work that I do is working with independent trainers to bring them together so that they can present themselves as a larger, more um, a better resourced, less risky option than a single kind of one person band trainer. Um, and, and for those trainers, uh, they, there's there's often significant price pressure because um, the client, every client knows somebody who'll do it for £500 a day or less. And they always bring that to bear in the conversation, don't they? To try and to try and bring the price down. <laughs> so it's it's really it's really important that we're able to differentiate what we do from a, a single person business. Because if you can't, then the only differentiator that's left is price, and then you're into a race to the bottom. Where because there's no there's no way of um, of articulating your value add. From the client's perspective, you're just the same as everybody else. So the key to really pushing up your rates and, and getting paid the better rates is to have some really uh, significant differences in the way that you operate compared with the way that the sort of standard freelance trainer operates. What would some of those differences be? Well, um, clients will typically uh, come and ask for, they think they know what they want. And this isn't just in training, this is in all um, in, in all walks of life, clients clients typically think they know what they want. And so in training, they'll ask for a, a single event. Typically, they'll ask for a single event. And if you... Like a, like a one-day workshop yeah, or, like a, a one -day or a remote workshop coaching session. Or a, or a webinar or, yeah. or maybe, maybe even two or three webinars. But um, but they, they're really, they've really got this, this kind of one-hit um, uh, attitude towards training. Now, if you talk to a marketing professional, they'll tell you that it takes seven touches to get a message across in in advertising. And that's kind of pretty well understood. But for some reason in training, we expect people to come to a single event and make changes that, that are often changes to habits of a yeah. lifetime, things that they've been doing all their lives. And it's it's really uh, unreasonable to expect people to do that. And so, if if that's what we deliver when when we're asked for a single event, if that's what we deliver, then really we're shortchanging the client because th that kind of training is only likely to, at best, lead to a spike in performance as people leave the training event full of enthusiasm. They try out a few ideas. You get an, a, a raised performance for a little while, but people very very quickly drift back to their old habits and their old ways of work, working. And there's substantial re research on this. Um, the ebbing house forgetting curve is probably most well known that shows how people forget what they've learned very, very quickly. So in the same way that marketing professionals put together marketing campaigns, we need to be thinking about learning as a learning campaign. How do we, how do we give this message to people in repeated ways that are fresh enough that they uh, that they don't get bored or fatigued by it, but that keep reinforcing the message and giving them every opportunity to put the learning that they've just received into practice and helping them to form new habits and to dispense with the old habits. And, and there's, there's a number of different ways of doing that. And it, it's really our, our duty as responsible trainers to show clients why this single event approach won't give them the best result. We need to show them how 
creating these learning campaigns will lead to real long-term sustainable change. And so this isn't just about you know squeezing the, the client until the pips squeak to get more money out of them, but this is really showing clients and educating clients in what's needed in order to get a really a sustainable long-term result, what they need to do to get a res- good result and how investing a little bit more in the training will give them a better return on investment overall. And it's just, you know, it's a happy coincidence that we make, we earn more money out of it as well. Um, but, but really, as long as our focus is on what's best for the business, we're doing that with the best intentions and it's actually in the client's interests to invest more money. And part of this comes from shaking the uh, perception of training as a cost if, if people are thinking of training as a cost, costs are there to be controlled. And so they'll have uh, an attitude that, that means getting the lowest cost they possibly can. If we can get our clients to think about training as an investment that brings a return and show them how a, a more significant investment will lead to an even more significant return, then clients are much more willing to invest the money because it's, it's much easier to just justify an increase in investment than it is to justify an increase in cost. Right. So we should be focused on um, an increase in performance. And I've said this many times on, on the shows that people often as trainers struggle to have this business-centric conversation. It's very easy to lapse into talking about the product without understanding the solution. So it's very easy to sell something by name and say, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a marketing trainer. I'm a, a compliance trainer, a resilience trainer. I'm a leadership trainer. In doing so, you're almost prescribing the, the solution, the fix, before you understand the problem. And of course, the value of fixing that problem. So we both recognize, therefore, that many of us have an employee mindset. If we work for a while as associate trainers, we kind of are boxed into charging, let's say, 500 pounds, if we're lucky, or more, depending on where you are listening to this right now. Um, And the rate for a one-day training program could be... um, thousand euros thousand thousand pounds upwards um i know for certain countries that uh, this is a low number i know that for a fact i've been charged out for as much as four thousand dollars in one day of course i haven't seen anything like that money as a return which is an incentive to every penny oh thank you thank you (laughs) i know that but i know i know i know it uh, late in the game but now of course it's about helping people to understand that they're undercharging where do you think most people undercharge where in the process are we undercharging as trainers? What do we undervalue ourselves in doing? Yeah, it's a very good question. Well, I, I, I see a lot of trainers who don't charge for design, for example. So they're creating a bespoke product for a client, but they're selling it to that client as if it was off an off-the-shelf product. And, and yet the amount of work that goes into designing a bespoke product, and to give you an example, um, my the ratios that I use are if the content already exists. So in other words, if you're taking um, existing um, methods that you may have used with other clients, and and the only design that's required is to string that together into a coherent narrative for this particular client, and maybe to design some exercises, uh, some practice sessions that are specific to the client, then then I would work to a one to one design ratio. So one day of training requires one day of design one hour um of online training requires an hour of design if it's new content then double that amount is needed so then it's a two to one design ratio so uh, a, a one hour webinar needs two hours of design and so that's quite significant and i see people delivering one day workshops where they've put in the the day of delivery and also an extra day or two of design and not charging for that. And and the same again with consultancy and getting to know your client's business, that, that that's really important. And it's so important that probably more time is needed doing that than, than many trainers will put into it. And so not only are they, are they not doing enough of it, but they, they also don't charge the client for that. And, and yet that's a, that is a that, that's a chargeable service because you can do that consultancy and even if the training didn't go ahead you'd be presenting your client with a report that told them training needs analysis tells them what's happening in their business from an objective perspective so there, there's value in that there's value in that to the client and it and that should be a, a, a chargeable amount and then the other um the other area is putting everything into day rates, um, which it's important to have in, in mind what your day rate is when you're costing out programs. But 
when when you're building and we may come on to talk about blend blended learning programs so when we're talking about a learning campaign what's going to go into that learning campaign is not just the face-to-face and the online events that are, that are the live live events but you can also have uh, assets that you can make once and use many times such as things like videos you can have coaching notes you can you can write articles and so on all of that that goes into it um, to then think about charging for a day rate just doesn't make sense in the context of these learning programs. So it's really uh, having a, a um, and I use, I use a, a simple spreadsheet that says this is the um, this is the asset, this is what it takes to p- produce it and design it. If there's live delivery, this is the live delivery that's involved, and then that gives you some costings for the overall kind of consultancy design and production costs of a program and then the delivery costs and then it's really thinking about you know i did this recently with a client and this is this is a client that's expecting their revenues to increase from 30 million to 50 million next year so they're going through uh, a process of acquisitions and they want to train everybody that they're bringing into the company to to help to deliver that uh, that much higher figure so the stakes are really very high and when we costed out based on the time involved how much the training came out at per head it just seemed ridiculously low too low really to be delivering on the um on on the target that the client has got in mind and so really that's when you can really then charge on the value that you're adding to the client because if you can show them you know this is this is a person you're expecting to bring in two three million pounds worth of business and the investment required to help them to deliver that is two thousand pounds a head the 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 difference between those between the investment and the return is so huge that the fact that it costs that it's actually costing you a lot less in time to produce that is pretty much irrelevant. And this is what we really mean when we when we talk about selling based on the value to the client. And you can show them a program of activities that include um, that include emails uh, that, that let people know what's coming up, that include live events, that include follow up work, that include videos, podcasts, uh, learning activities that they can do back at work, coaching notes for their managers this whole program of activities and actually the, the the look of it when you when you lay it out on paper it just looks like a fantastic program of learning and and that's what i mean by a learning campaign yeah it's like it's like a map isn't it you're taking people from a all the way to z or z yeah exactly exactly and to, to come back to your original question of where do people undervalue themselves it's by thinking well this is my day rate so i can only charge for the live events and everything else is um is included in that and that's a real missed opportunity to demonstrate to the client that you're providing massive value and that they're getting a a, a great response from this and if you do this well it it really differentiates you from the the kind of one person band um trainers and 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 it justifies the higher rate and and it plays very well with um, um with clients as well they like to see this kind of thing yeah, so effectively, if you think of it, there's not just the, the face-to-face or the the remote training, which you do, you know, in, in real time. There's, as you said, all the content that you can give people. There's the pre-training activity, or pre-training side of things. There's the actual blended learning approach, which is where we train people using different formats, different uh, uh, systems. It could be live, it could be via video, etc., some kind of uh, learning management system. Um, and of course, post-learning, there's a whole avenue of things we can do with the client, not just training, but getting them ready to train. And I think of this as marketing. I quite like the the approach you're taking here, which is the idea of a campaign, because it's it's like a marketing campaign. You wouldn't expect to put something on TV and expect people to buy it the very next day. You have to warm them up. You've got to get them excited about the, the journey you're taking them on. And the journey, of course, is different points you could send people emails um i i the way i explain it to people is is to get them to look forward to the journey before the plane takes off because if you can't get them to take off with you they'll not land properly so there are things you can charge for from using 360 um 360 degree questionnaire you could have a focus group with people you could charge for that you come and have a consultancy conversation meet department heads um, gather some learning. You could produce a report. You can charge for that. Um, then, of course, there's the pre-learning. You're going to give people some videos to watch or some exercises to complete. 
That's all stuff which you can charge for without you ever being present. And this is stuff you can reuse, as you said. And then you can deliver content face-to-face remote. You can have a face-to-face follow-up conversation with people individually using coaching. And then, of course, post-learning, you can give people some PDFs. So there's a whole range of areas where you can charge. But most trainers don't do these things because they think of themselves coming from corporate as the thing I charge for is when I'm in the room or in Zoom. But as you've just mapped out there with the campaign, there's a whole bunch of things, services that we could charge for. So let's take an example where recently a trainer you spoke to was thinking of just charging for, I think it was a webinar. Is that right? Oh, one, that's right. One yes. hour so, webinar. So how did you, you know, change his mindset? So he began to realize all the things he's leaving money on the table. Yeah. He'd been asked to by his client to deliver a one hour webinar on slide design uh, he's a, his his specialism is presentation skills and so he was uh, asked to deliver this webinar on best practice in slide design and he was going to charge 250 euros for this webinar just that one hour yeah just okay. for the one hour webinar that's what he was going to charge for and we we established that in addition to this he could also provide them with a standardized deck of templates liaising with their uh, with their brand guidelines and their marketing department to to produce a, a slide deck that um, that that accurately reflected their uh, corporate brand. So so that's an additional product that he can and and also a bit of consultancy with their marketing and a product that he could deliver. He could also produce a best practice guide so that people have got something to refer to after the web after the webinar. They can go back and read the guide and it will remind them of the the key points of the webinar. He could also provide a pre-recorded video to explain the main points so that people could go back and review that after they've been on the webinar. And that could also sit on their intranet along with the best practice guide. And he also put together a coaching program for senior staff to help them build their first slide decks and to give them some coaching on how to deliver their first um, their, their first webinars using the using the slides and their first presentations. And that came to uh, the, the fee for that the initial fee because the coaching program could be an ongoing thing, but the initial fee then uh, went up to 5,000 euros. So that was 20 times what he was planning to charge. And that's, that's just one example of how you can uh, expand the scope of a, of a, a program. And, and I go back to what I was saying earlier, that this isn't to hold the client by the ankles and shake them to see how much change falls out of their pockets. But this is actually giving them a better experience because people who come on a one hour webinar They'll, they'll learn a bit about how to design their slides. They'll go away and do that for the next two or three presentations, and then they'll forget all about it and go back to the death by PowerPoint that they were doing previously. But with all these additional um, assets that help to embed the learning, the, the guide to refer back to, the video to watch again, the coaching for, um, for staff who, who are doing significant presentations, um, the, the standardized deck, it really maximizes the chances that people are going to carry on doing what they've learned how to do on that webinar well into the future. So it actually gives the client, a. Uh, it may cost them more in the short term, but it gives them a result that's going to keep on delivering over and over and over again. That's it. And when I've said to people before, the easiest way to increase your income as a trainer is just to raise your prices. Um, that, co- of course, sounds a bit sarcastic. It sounds too easy. But here, we're really justifying doing this because we're not just training people face-to-face. We're providing all kinds of resources for them to embed the learning and to ensure they generate return on investment. So you sound less like a trainer and more like a business person who's got their interests at heart. And you can recognize the fact that there are, there are often pitfalls in training because people invest money in training, but then that training is not sustained. So you're providing content and a journey to take them on to ensure they get value for money and, of course, generate return on investment. And, of course, the, the payoff for you is that you get to charge proper money. Now, when I say proper money, um, I don't mean to be unkind, but to my mind, at least, 250 euros a day is just not enough. Whereas what you've just outlined is a process, a helpful business-like process to take someone as a trainer from charging 250 a day to 5,000 a day. It doesn't always work, of course, because sometimes... You'll have prospects who push back, but you have now justified charging that kind of money. So you can multiply using this very simple example, your day rate, which could be 250, which is not enough in in many instances. And now it's 5,000 
pounds. That's a huge improvement. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, um, just it, it was it was two fifty for an hour's uh, webinar, um, actually. So, That's even so better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but 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 nevertheless, and also the the expanded package did mean that there was more work involved for him. But the but the rate that he's going to be paid for the amount of time that he's doing is is much much higher under the under the second version. Um, but I think what you're what you're describing is is really significant, though, Mark, because the 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 risk of training failing, and that's something that particularly if you're dealing with L and D people, they're very very sensitised to the risk of of training failing, and what they want to hear is that you're going to help them to make sure that the training succeeds, and and then if you're dealing with problem owners, uh, which could be people like the sales director or the owner of the business, they want to know that they're going to get the return on their investment, and so there there are really three three key elements to making sure that that happens and one of them which you've already mentioned earlier you were talking about getting department heads together it's so important to involve managers because if people are trained and then they go back to work and their managers don't know what they've been trained to do they don't know what different behaviors to expect and they don't know how to support those behaviors then the training is likely to um, to founder at best and to completely fail at worst. So making sure that managers not only know those things, but also recognize that they have a responsibility as the manager of the person who's been trained to encourage and reinforce the new behaviors. And, and getting that really clear with managers is incredibly powerful. And wherever possible, I try to weave the managers into the program so that they have a role going through the, the the learning campaign, they've got a role in making sure that and, and um, working with people, coaching them, reviewing their work and making sure that they're doing the things that they've been trained to do. And, and getting managers to accept that responsibility is, is a really powerful way to make sure that the training continues. And I see that as being a, a handover because at some point at the trainer, as the trainer, you're stepping away from the situation and then making sure that those behaviors continue is a management responsibility. Yeah, I think an easy way to do this, and I've I've seen it done before, is on a map. You have the learner's track and then parallel to that, you've got the manager's track. And of course, because you have a manager's track, again, that's another point, another area you can charge for. You're bringing them, the, the people on a journey, the people who manage the people applying the learning. And, and you're right, because this is exactly what people want to know is, how can I be sure that this process will generate results? What what better way than to ensure that people managing the people getting the results are included, know what's going on, and have some responsibility for the application of the training? Absolutely. It really, it really does work. And there, there's a myth amongst a lot of L&D people that managers don't want to support or are unwilling in some way to support the training. But in my experience, when you provide this support to managers, they absolutely love it because they can see that you are upskilling their people in a way that's going to make it easier for them as managers to get the results that they're charged with doing. And uh, another aspect of that is to provide tools and assignments that help people to put in practice what they've just been trained to do because sometimes they learn they learn how to do something they get back to work and they they're not really sure where to start so if you can provide them with some kind of um, simple tool or um, a, a guided assignment that helps them to apply what they've learned then that makes that transition easier and so that's the that's the second um, support of the three that I mentioned and the third one is to have some success metrics in place and success Success metrics are so important um, for, and I, I know that you've had Wendy Kirkpatrick on a previous uh, episode of your of your podcast, and and the the Kirkpatrick method of evaluation is the best that that, that exists as far as I know. Uh, is very very good for not only for demonstrating that there's been a return on investment, but also demonstrating, which is the level four of the Kirkpatrick model, but also demonstrating that people have acquired the skills, that's level two, and that they've been observed using them in the work, workplace, which is level three. And to have that accountability built into the program, it does three things. One, it demonstrates the return on investment, but uh, perhaps more significantly, it motivates people to put what they've learned into practice because everyone knows that at some point they're going to be asked to account for what they've done with the training, what 
and what differences well, I hope it's so. made, what kind of result <laughs> they've got. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and the third thing it does, uh, which is often overlooked, is it bakes into the program a long-term review after the learning campaign has ended. Because as part of that, you can say, we'll come back three months later, we'll, we'll, we'll do a follow-up refresher. And that's another way of adding value because you're helping, helping the client to, to, to make sure that people are still using the behaviors. But at the same time, it's another uh, chargeable service and it gives you an opportunity to have a, a, a further ongoing conversation with what's next for these people, where, who else might benefit from this kind of training, what other business needs have you got that we might be able to contribute to with the learning campaign. Exactly. All, all music to my ears. I've said this again and again, that thinking of not just the day as being the training, but think of all the the commitments you can get by coming back, any excuse to get in front of people again, to check in with them, to have a 30-day, 60-day, a 90-day review with them. Of course, this is a great opportunity to speak to people in the business and, and perhaps connect with them, understand their department, uh, navigate their landscape, and, and perhaps there's some in, entree or in, intro, what's the word? Intro. <laughs> entry into, into their department and, and again, more more training opportunities. So we've taken something which ostensibly is just a one hour and we've kind of extrapolated all the different ways how that thing can be taken from a 250 pound for one hour opportunity into potentially being something which is worth as much or more than 5,000 pounds from a range of angles, having a management track, having a, a learner's track, having pre-training, blended learning, post-training, evaluation, feedback tools, resources, videos, podcasts, all the kinds of things you can offer. Now, obviously, some people will say to you, well, I don't need all of this. I just need the training. And I think that's the last thing we'll look at today. What happens if someone uh, is slow with to, to respond positively? And they're thinking, well, hang on a sec. It, this normally, this thing that I normally go to market to get, uh, let's say management training, has now turned into a five thousand pound beast or a six thousand dollar project. Um, I'm not sure I like this. Can we perhaps roll back a little and just just give me the thing I'm asking for? How does someone push back or, or carefully clarify that it's in the interest of the person commissioning the training to stick with a plan and and to choose? other things on the menu than just the training itself. Because this has happened to me in the past and I've had to think really hard about how I get someone to see the value of all the the, the blended approach, the post-learning and the pre-training. Yeah, and and it, it's really about uh, in the in the in the conversation that you're having with them pre-sale uh, is really getting people connected up to the scale of the problem that they're that they're dealing with and what the what the um, what what the benefits are of solving it, or conversely, the risks are of, of letting it. Continue. So understanding the pain, clarifying yeah, it, really, okay. really getting people connected up with that. And in my experience, the, it's it's easier to do that with the problem owner than it is with the person in L and D, because quite often they're insulated by quite a few. And I I say this from a place of deep love as a as a. As a former L and D manager myself, I, I know what it's like, and and um, so you know that these those people over there have got the pain, but it's not the same as having the pain yourself. So one one way of doing that is to is to then expand the number of people in the organisation that you're having the conversation with, um, because I've se I've seen it multiple times that when L and D people drag their heels, the problem owner can quite often be really useful in in getting things moving so that's one way of doing it um sometimes it's a question of budget in which case the question is who would need to see that this was a problem that was worth solving in, in order to liberate more funds um and but there are occasions where it's just not going to work out and then really is a um it then becomes almost an ethical question that it, is it is it ethical or is it um um, is it is it is it a, wor a worthy thing to do to deliver training that you don't believe is going to lead to a result? So, as, as a bare minimum, and and um, you know, if you do have to scale back the program, the question is, what's the bare minimum that you can deliver and that stand is going over? Yeah, th yeah, that's actually going to give them a result that they'll be pleased with. Someone once said to me that um, in in any business development conversation, if if you know that the client is going to be delighted 
with the outcome, then your job as the business development person is to make sure that they have it. But if you know that they're going to be disappointed with the outcome, your job as the business development person is to prevent them from having it. Uh, because it's just not worth taking on these kind of jobs, and uh, it, it, if they don't lead to the out, lead to the outcome, um, and clients will will very quickly forget that you said it wasn't going to work, and they'll always end up blaming the trainer because they have to take the responsibility for it themselves when things don't work out well. That's so true. Because I I will look at you and I'll say. Um you're you're the problem it's it's your training design or your training program or it's you as a trainer because i i you said it was this kind of thing and would do these things but you as a trainer have negotiated yourself down you've compromised on what your process is and i think people need to stay in control trainers need to be adamant this is the program i will stand over this is what it does i know it does this because i've done it for other people and even if you have not done it for other people, you still have to believe this is what works for people just like them. Because if the process does not deliver the outcome, you risk a bunch of things. One, no, not being asked back. That's the least of your worries. Secondly, you might develop a reputation for having a product which does not hit the mark. What many of us as trainers need, of course, is referral. If people don't believe, I would rather pay more for something then get something which is tarnished or under de- delivers because the cost of fixing it is much more. So I think it's very, it's incumbent upon the trainer to have this conversation, no matter how awkward it feels, that this is the process, this is a product that's going to work, and there are checks and balances and other forms of learning in, in place to ensure it's embedded and does deliver results. If you compromise too much, you risk delivering something, you might be paid for it, but you'll more than likely not be asked back to deliver anything else. And of course, then L&D people talk to each other because naturally, at some point, you will find yourself thinking, well, who's a good trainer that delivers, I don't know, stuff for a legal department? And you might ask around the training community. And if you, um, you know, if you're passed over, that's something you can't uh, but regret. The last thing you want to do is have your reputation of a product that doesn't actually achieve results. So my firm advice is have confidence in your program. In thinking of what you've said, if you feel as a provider that what you're going to deliver will not achieve results, it's best to walk away and find someone else who's going to play your rules because your program is your rules. It's your product. It's what you're charging for. It's something you should have confidence in. And if the person commissioning this asks you to take off the, the door of the car and, and take out the wheel just to make the car lighter, the risk is a really crappy, poor journey. And of course, you're going to be to blame for that. Absolutely. And the root of the problem is often trainers not having enough leads because you want to be able to, to say no to work that doesn't meet the standards that you've set for yourself. And uh, the best way of doing that is to is to make sure that you're generating uh, more more leads than you really need because then you can be much more selective. And it, it, it breaks my heart to think of trainers having to work with clients that they don't have to, that they don't like doing, doing work that they're feeling like they're doing under duress just because they don't have better leads to, to follow up. I've been there before. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, but that's the key to it is to, is to, is to make sure that you've got a system in place that, that brings you, um, the, the right kind of clients and that you're connecting with people who share your values and, and who really understand it. Because when you do get those kind of clients, working with them is just blissful. It's so nice. And it's so, it's so, um, easy to work with people that get it and that really understand that, that learning isn't about, flash in the pan events it's about um a sustained campaign of um, understanding to change the way that people think and change the way that they behave Um, and when you get people who understand that it really is so refreshing to work with them so in summary um change your mindset begin to realize that you can charge really good money for a product as long as it delivers business results understand the kinds of people that you need to have those conversations with to understand the value of the training you're providing. And of course, think of a learning campaign, think of a journey you're bringing those people on. It's more than just the training, it's the it's the whole journey. It's the pre-training, it's the actual learning and training itself. 
it's the post-learning. And of course, all of those opportunities give you chances to interact with people, to build your connection with them and to ingrain yourself in their corporate way of doing things. And of course, stick to your process. If you feel that someone is pushing back too much uh, with a result that what you're doing for them will not actually deliver tangible benefit, return on investment, you're more than likely better off walking away and finding someone who values what you do. That's a great summary. Anything else you'd add to that, Murray, before we sign off? I don't think so. No, I think that that's really summed it up perfectly, Mark. That uh, that that's what it's all about. And 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 you've said the key word, which which is that it's a mindset. It's a different way of thinking about training, and it's a different way of thinking about ourselves as trainers and what what's the role that we that we play in the. Uh, the learning that's happening within our clients' organizations and to elevate that role and to, to see yourself as, as as not being somebody who is um, doing the bidding of your client, but the person who's actually bringing all your expertise, all your accumulated knowledge of learning and development and of how to make um, beha- behavioral change and how to build learning programs that really work, that, that that's a really significant thing that is missing in most organizations and it really does deserve to be paid at a much higher rate than most trainers give themselves credit for. Right. So take out, take out your pen, scratch your pen through that poor low number and put down the kind of money you want to charge. And then think of all the ways we've talked to today, to you today about you can charge more by adding in ingredients into that learning campaign, that learning journey you want to take your prospects on. Your customers. Exactly. Are. Yeah, right. that's it. Brilliant. Murray, thanks for being my guest today on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure, Mark. Thank you. My thanks to my guest today, Murray, for spending time with me, giving you some ideas on how you can add value to your training, finding ways to charge for services, and of course, overcoming that mindset that often holds people back, which is I'm not training or rather charging as much as I could be. So hopefully that's given you some clarity on a range of areas where you can actually deliver things to your prospects, your clients, more than just face-to-face training. And this is the learning campaign, the learning journey that Murray and I mapped out with you today. And this is something that we both do in terms of working with trainers, coaching them in their business and helping them to understand the market for what they do. And this is something that we'll be talking about in another episode of the show in the near future. So my thanks again to Murray and my thanks, of course, to you for tuning in today for episode 99 of the Training Business Podcast. One episode to go. Next week is the big 100 episodes, nearly two years in the making. I look forward to your company then. And that is next Thursday. But until then, please keep your ideas coming. If you've got suggestions for guests or topics for the show, you can email me, mark at trainingbusiness.com. But in the interim, please look after yourself and your loved ones. Keep on training, keep on selling. Until next week, bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.